tonight on Brian's Diet. Uh, thank you for the uh, tip. We're on the air. Welcome. Oh, I'm Brian yeah. Irwin. You are... John Huck. And this is Hollywood Anonymous. Hollywood Anonymous, episode three. Episode three. Take it away, you got to sing this one. You can do this one? Uh, do I have to riff? Wait, first, you got to talk to the woman you're calling, right? Talk to, hello. Hello, operator? Operator? Give me Mildred. Nope. Mildred's not available. Not to miss... It's John Huck and Brian Irwin. No one knows who they are. We try real hard. You, nothing. Nothing. You know what's crazy? We want to succeed, but yet we haven't really succeeded. See, that's just going to follow the... Yeah, I know. There's a theme. I get it. I get it. And you know the problem yeah. I'm having... Did she, I'm sorry, did she say Ballyhooey? Well, yeah, I mean, it's like the 40s, right? Whoa, 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 whoa. Whenever this song came. Probably earlier than that if it's... 30s, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say it's kind of funny because I spent almost my entire time alone and or with... Are you going to cry? Friends or my girlfriend making up goofy songs, like singing stuff that doesn't make any sense. Uh-huh. And yet when you were like, hey, go riff on this, I was like, uh... I can't. No, you were completely incapable. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Completely and utterly incapable. Which could explain, again, why I'm here. Oh, hello? Sorry. Phone's blowing up, man. Phone's blowing up. And for Brian, blowing up is how many calls a day? I don't know. Just It just it just rings all day long. Yeah, but that's for work. It is. Does, well, yeah, it's all work stuff. Does anyone ever call you? It'll be like, hey, man, how, how are you feeling today? Nope. Not even here's, your, here's the phone calls I get. Here's the phone calls I get, because the nature of what I do... Um, 80% of my business is independent filmmaking. Um, so I get a lot of calls of like, listen, my grandmother just passed and she left me $12. And, and, uh, <laughs> I've always wanted to make this script. I have a 200 page <laughs> script, sci-fi. I want to yeah. get in your building. Yeah. I want you to charge me 10 cents a day to use the yes. entire building. Yeah. So if you wouldn't mind just never making money and just letting me do what I need to do in Hollywood with think no about, money. Think about my grandma. Think about <laughs> my grandma. Nana would have wanted it this way. Yeah, so I get a lot of those phone calls all day long. And then in sprinkled in there is actually legitimate. Hello, like, I got, have money. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can always oh. tell people who have, who have money because they get right to the point and be like, hey, Brian, this is so-and-so from such-and-such show. I want to schedule a scout today uh, because we're looking for the following things. Yeah. And our dates to film are such-and-such dates. Yeah. And then you can tell who doesn't have any money. they be like, uh, yeah, hi. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm looking for a place. Uh, is, uh, um, and I need call to, me back? Yeah, yeah. It's always this long, like vague, like it's almost like, what am I calling you back for like in general like i hear you let things happen and people do things and stuff goes on st- st- lights but then there's doors opening with also, to go in and audio peek call and- me back <laughs> <laughs> i'll let you read the script no thank you oh <laughs> yeah i'm good i like I'm that's good. my favorite thing if people offer i'll let you read my script i i didn't ask uh I, why does that help me <laughs> i barely read my own scripts <laughs> not gonna read yours you have trouble proofreading what you've already written <laughs> Uh, a story that um, came to my head before the show that I wanted to share with you, John. Is, oh, because um, I wanted to ask you about something. But uh, well, I, I want to just. T- I don't want. I'm more it. important. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, Gary Coleman. Remember Gary Coleman? Do, what? I've just thrown. What, it, I want to make what sure. What kind of person is going to say no? I don't remember Gary Coleman well, because he's he has, he has he has passed on. So maybe he is now no longer on the site. Oh, nice you know look what? on your face. You were so shocked. That's right. I forgot that he died. I did. You for, did. The look on I your face did. is like, what? And I just had a conversation this about the just other day. in. Yeah, sorry. I'm getting my Hollywood news late it's here. It's been a couple of years now, I believe. Wow. Okay. Um, so you remember when Gary... Are, was, it was different. Is different strokes still on the air then? Yes. Was, yeah. They have a yeah. guy who filled in for him, right? 
Um, it's just it's uh, just Willis's strokes now. It's just Will- Willis's strokes. He's the only one left. He is the and he only has one strokes. Left. He doesn't have st- what? Oh. Never mind. It was just a bad joke. Oh, I thought Speaking you meant of- like. He was, he was stroking off. Hey, I like Todd Bridges. Way to take that completely down a different path. I thought, yeah, you were saying stroke. I told like, you the story about Willis, our friend Willis, who grew up. He's an African-American fella. Yeah. Um, he's dainty like Prince. Yes. Way to describe that and be safe. Um, he, uh, people were like, Prince is small. So, um, <laughs> you, you know, unless you've seen him in close. But you, uh, I think the, I think the general knows. consensus yeah, yeah. is he wears high heels. He's tiny. Oh, is that, is that what it is? Yeah. Or he just likes high heels? No, he does like and high then, heels, but he can wear them because it's not like he's like now towering over people. He is now eye to eye with them. If I wore high heels, you'd be like, dude, what are you, nine feet tall? You'd be, it'd be irritating. <laughs> But he can do it because he's shorter you than the average. High, no, did you wear high heels when you played Janet? Uh, Janet Janet's is a character. Not a character. Janet's my sister. Sorry. Uh, and Janet does not wear high heels. She wears a thir- size 13 hiking shoe. Okay, fair enough. With a dress. More of a boot. Okay, more of a more boot. boot. And yeah, she's, she's, dressing, a dress. she's a woman, man. She's, she's a dressing boot girl. Gal. Yeah, yeah. If anybody hasn't met Janet. You will. Uh, you will. We'll get her on the show probably as a guest. Um, well, she'll probably just barge in and take over at one point. on the show. That's right. I'm sorry. I visitors. Can we edit that out? I'm sorry nope. I said that. Uh, you're like, why? Because it's too hard. Um, yeah, we have visitors. Maybe. I don't want to book guests. We've I had agree. this conversation. I agree. Let me explain to you why my theory is that they're visitors versus guests. Guests, every podcast is so obsessed with trying to get guests every week. That's what they do. Oh my I God, agree. if we don't have a guest, how are we going to be able to do a show? I don't know. Who's controlling the mics? Can you, can you, do you have anything to talk about? As long as it, I'm mean, again, actually, I can answer that question. Some people have nothing to talk about, but. Um, I'm not against guests. I just don't. I just don't feel like this show. Like we'll panic. You know, we're no, no, no. shut down I, the show because we couldn't get a guest. No, we, no. The only time we shut down the show is if it's a snow day. <laughs> so we're actually never going to get shut down. Uh, so we'll never be shut down. Um, no, no, no. My I, point I'm is that you. because of where I'm we are, you. whether we stay, whether we stay continuing to do the show here, wherever we're doing the show, it always seems to be somebody. We're around people working in the business, so that's why I say they'll just visit. They'll stop by, and they'll share stories as long as they know thematically what yeah, we want to do. Yeah, very true. If we, if we did it at my apartment, even, we'd have like an Eddie Pence or There's a Brian Scalero somebody. or somebody come by for sure. Way to neighborhood drop, buddy. Oh, man, I live in the... What, I, could, I, could, I could be annoying about it and say Hollywood Foothills. You did. I'm just saying. No, I mean the annoying part. Oh, yeah. The, um, <laughs> so back to the Willis thing. So our yeah, friend Willis, right. I happened to be in, in, at a show with him at the downtown, the Garrett Morris Downtown Comedy Club in one of its many what, incarnations. But which one was it? Which this was the one that was at the Alexandria is, Hotel, oh my God, it was like a which ballroom. also was a ballroom that held the first, I believe, the first or second year of the Academy Awards. So you can just, you can still, it was... Oh my God, I didn't realize that it was... Yeah, yeah, so it was pretty cool. That part of it was cool. But it, that but part it was, is but it was, cool. But it was horrible for stand-up. Oh, it was, yeah. There, and, Too echoey. And the night they opened, they, someone, they opened up that grand opening, then they closed for the night, and they all went home, and someone broke in and stole all the PA equipment. Oh, good. Good, good story. <laughs> the first day. That seems to, that means it was meant to be. So, um, I'm there with Willis, <laughs> our friend Willis, and... Todd Bridges, at the time, I don't know if he does it anymore, was trying to do stand-up. Do you remember this? Do you know this? Uh, I vaguely remember him doing something like that, yeah. Yeah. I was, of course, stoked to be able to go over and meet Todd Bridges. <clears throat> well, yeah. I'm stoked to meet anybody from my childhood past. But I was definitely stoked to meet Todd Bridges, but I had to pretend like I was definitely not stoked 
right? Is that what you have to kind of do? You can't be weird about... Well, right. You can't run up there, you know, hey, I love you. <clears throat> well, I would never say that specifically. But, but... you do love him, correct? <laughs> yes. Okay. So um, that's like whenever I bust my son doing something, he doesn't want to admit it. I'm like, but you did do it, right? Yeah. Yes. yes. It's always like, yes. Fine. <laughs> yes. All right. So um, go over. And I just thought it was really funny. And super nice guy, by the way. Great guy. Loved talking to him. And he was actually great to talk. He was like, you know, open to just having general conversation. It wasn't like, so in episode, no. So it was just like, you know. Right. You weren't being, you're not a Star Trek nerd. No, no. Yeah. So we were talking about the funny thing was I all of a sudden realized that there, I was talking with him with Willis. A guy named Willis. Next to him. Now he knew that too. And all I could think was that all those, there's no way Willis was just not mocked his whole entire life with what What you're talking talking about about Willis, Willis, right? right? Of course. Just a small part of me, John. It's just a antsy, tinsy part of me wanted to ask Todd Bridges to say to what Willis. What you're talking about, Willis. Do- <laughs> to Willis. But I realized at, if I had done that, it could have gone one of two ways. He'd been like, that's hilarious, yes. Or this conversation's over, yeah. and yep. why don't you go away forever? Yeah. Or or he would have politely declined. You would have been stuck standing there. Yeah. And then it would have been awkward because you'd realize that what you'd said was over the line. Right. Or just, or, yeah, would just, or just, <clears throat> just stupid. And everybody yeah. just thinks I'm stupid, we, uh, which people normally. Do uh, that is not a right. common uh, misconception, or not an uncommon conception. So that that's no that story one. This, the other story that I want to tell you was it reminded me of a story I'd heard about Gary Coleman through some friends of mine um, that worked with him a long time ago. You remember when he was a security guard for the while? He was in the news about being yes, a security yeah. guard. The whole there was an incident about a uniform or something in the news. I can't remember specifically what it was, but. It turns out years later, um, I was talking to a guy who was with him and actually was one of the people. They, they, they're, they're, they're working locations, so they hire right. the security departments. And so he came to set, and they had a problem with him. He was totally fine. He was super nice, and he was totally fine with doing, being a security guard. Given all that he was in his life, he was very humble. Like He wasn't being a jerk about anything, and he said he was totally cool. But they had a problem with the fact that he, couldn't, he would not get off the, the radio. He was doing he was doing radio work, man. He was like on it, nonstop talking oh on the radio, God. calling people to different channels, talking on the radio, telling jokes on the radio, and finally they're like, "Take his radio um, away." Yeah, they took his radio away, and they're like, "Listen, you can keep doing this, but uh, you're not allowed to have a radio anymore." See, it just sounds like such a punishment, especially oh to say to such a smaller person. It's like I feel like that's Who's something I'm from. Like, give me the radio, Gary. Gary, get over, here. Gary get over here. Gary, get over here. Gary, don't Gary, run away from me. Don't Gary, you, Gary, don't make me chase you. <laughs> Do not make me chase you, don't Gary. Don't make this more awkward than it already Gary, is. Gary, people not are watching chase us. You around. Give me the radio <laughs> back, Garrence. And then it takes the, takes the walkie and then just spanks him with it, <laughs> like with the antenna. <laughs> Gary. Down, Gary. Uh, um, that is funny. The Simpsons mocked him being a security guard, too. He was on The Simpsons uh, for a Christmas episode. Okay. And he was a security guard, and Lisa and Bart are sneaking into... This toy factory, and they—he's sorry—I just hit myself in the face. He—he's uh, on the phone with his feet on a desk, wearing a security guard's outfit, and he goes, "What? Six prawns is hardly a galaxy." And he's like yelling at a fast food place or a takeout place, and then uh, Lisa goes, "We gotta go, we gotta go." And Bart goes, "Hey, I want to hear how this plays out." And she picks up the end of the phone cord. She's like, "The phone's not even plugged in." <laughs> And he's like, sad. And they just crawl away. (laughs) And at the end, Gary Coleman, he ends up at the Simpsons house. And Moe comes in with the turkey. And like, it's the Christmas, it's the Scrooge thing. And Moe's like, ah, who owns the uh, SUV outside? I scratched it. 
And then and Gary Coleman goes, what you talking about, Mo? And then he turns to the camera and goes, what you talking about, everyone? <laughs> it was like the Christmas Tiny Tim. It was very funny. Uh, but yeah, he was on that. And I actually have a Todd Bridges story as well. All right. Uh, sorry. And I apologize You again. are just... These first couple episodes with you and your voice. I know. Are... I apologize again, guys. I, I, I'm ill. I don't know what happened. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know my upbringing and who I am, <laughs> stand-up comedy, but I mean, physically, I don't know why I'm sick. Okay. Sorry. Understood. Uh, okay. So I worked on, I, I was a producer on MTV's Punked for like a really long time. Mm-hmm. Well, it seemed like a long time. Now it seems like, you know. Sands a long hour- time ago. Sands in the hourglass. Back baby. when you really thought you had a chance in this world. <coughs> Weird thing. Did was, you actually I... call anybody and tell them, "Hey, you know what? I don't like you. Fuck off," because I'm about to be fucking big time here. And then you aren't on the show anymore, and you're like, oh, "Good yeah, God, no!" I, I just. Was oh like, no, man, no. I'm out of here, and all you people don't need you guys anymore. No, I would never. I, first of all, I have no one to say that I, to. I know. Um, all you people, um, huh? we're your neighbors. We don't even like you. <laughs> I don't uh, even know who are you. Yeah, I see you walking. That's it. Get out of my house. How'd you get in here? All you people? Hey, how'd you get in here? <laughs> uh, so I, I was, we were producing a bit where it was a basketball player. I, I want to say it was an, like an Allen Iverson or somebody like that. This was obviously 2000, whatever, four, five, maybe four, probably. Actually, maybe. You're being too uh, date specific. Yeah, sorry. Point. It doesn't matter. Uh, so the, the You've bit had too was, many Hall's mentholiptuses. Yeah, I'm so menthoed up. Uh, uh, the bit was that we go to this crowded uh, nightclub and so this person, this basketball player is having their birthday party there and when they get there, we're at capacity and they can't come in. So we keep this guy outside in an alley and we're like, sorry man, we're at capacity. We've got two bouncers out there. And then, I don't know how someone got a hold of him, but for kicks, we send Todd Bridges in to walk right by him and then talk, hey, what's up? He high-fives the security guards like, what's up, Todd? How you doing, man? They let him right in and the basketball player throws a little bit of a fit. He's like, no shit, you're going to let Willis in, but you're not going to let me in? And he starts to get mad. He's like, it's my party. He's like, I'm sorry, man. That's Todd Bridges. He can go wherever he wants. <laughs> Todd Bridges, I'm so-and-so. And like just the, went back and forth. And it was very funny. I can't remember. It ended with Ashton revealing from the top of the parking garage with a megaphone, like, ah, you got punked, and then never going down to talk to the guy. So it was a very awkward ending. Was it because he was afraid of him? I don't know what it was. I'm not sure. But the the point was that the whole afternoon, Todd Bridges was on set with us. And a lot of, you know, part of what I did was make sure anyone like Todd that was on set was taken care of and had what they needed. I mean, they were, as far as I was concerned, they were doing us a favor. We were you just, were a handler. I was not a handler. You were handling. No, part of what I did was make sure that these people were taken care of. I didn't handle them. If Todd wanted to go to the bathroom, Todd went to the bathroom. I didn't walk him to the bathroom. You were a handler. No, my friend handles fucking musicians and they're idiots. You know what I mean? <laughs> Todd Bridges could stand on his own two feet. Right, right. So, you were but, a caregiver. Yeah, I did hospice for Todd okay. Bridges. <laughs> So uh, we were talking, and like he said, he was really open about everything. Kind of started telling stories about being in jail and everything. You know, he's like he was in jail one of the same times Robert Downey Jr. was in jail together, but both sitting next to each Not other in the same cell, but in the same row. Because really, in the same row, they could see each other. They were both. They knew. They, I think they knew they were there. And I think he That's was in. Crazy. He was in jail at the same time as Tommy Lee once too. Uh, but he had those stories, and then he had. He goes, you know, the worst part about being in, in jail and going to prison and stuff isn't. Um, isn't the other inmates? It was the guards. Because every day the guards were just lights out, Willis. What you talking about, Willis? Ugh. Lights out, Will. Like he was like, man, it was brutal. And I was like, oh, dude, that's 
awful. I mean, this guy's already obviously hit like a, a low point, and then they're just shitting on him even more. I felt bad for him, but he was super nice and very funny. And I think he had just gotten married or was married, had two kids, and he was starting to write that book that just came out a little while ago. He did write a book? Oh, yeah, he wrote a book. Uh, and then, I don't know, he talked about his love of country music, I think. I would love to have him on a television show. If I ever, if I ever created a show or something like that. So would like, I. That's the kind of character. A neighbor, a, a landlord even, like the guy who came around, collected your rent, whatever it was. But I want to be very clear about me, though. See, I'm obsessed with any actor or actress from my uh, formative years of watching television and or film. So I would, I would put them, I would put them all in the set. I mean, I wouldn't, I would it'd be like a kid in a candy store. I would not stop. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You too. Yep. You're in here. So you'd work yourself yep, right yeah. out of the show. Mr. Cat, William Cat over here. Lou Ferrigno over here. Willis William over Cat, here. Ferrigno, my name is not Willis. Willis over here. W- William Cat and Lou Ferrigno as gay neighbors <laughs> or like a gay couple that lives next door to, and then Willis lives or Todd Bridges lives above them. And he's angry. He's like the Mr. Furley. And then you live next door to them. <laughs> Modern neighborhood. Uh, i do From it. From the 80s. I would do it. Dick Van Patten's there. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm the dad. Chachi. Ooh, uh, he goes by... Chachi? <laughs> he goes by Mr. Chachi. Mr. Chachi, my bad. He's on, he's on a show on Nickelodeon called See Dad Run. Okay. I guess, am a, I, supposed, is it my, I guess that's not my age bracket. No, not your age bracket. Your kids might get into it in a little while. Okay. A friend of mine, Alana Ubeck, is, plays the wife. Okay. I, when I say friend, I use that loosely. We were in a movie together, and she's very and nice And she has no me. idea who you are. Probably not. Okay, fair enough. I just want to bring that up. I just like, that's my way of being like, hey, they were cool to me, so we're friends. I want. I don't want to, uh, I'm always afraid to be too topical, because I don't really know where this is going to go, but that Bill Cosby stuff is completely whacked out. Dude, so... And I'm going to leave it at that, because I have no idea when this is going to air. All I'm going to say is, um, you know... Regardless of how this thing plays out in the big picture, my attitude, but, but a bad year for 2014, by the way, with, oh, with comedy. Oh, my God. Um, but comedy's on an upswing for the, for the youngers. For the youngers. <laughs> yeah, this Cosby thing is just really, it's, it's, it's so disappointing. It's disappointing. It's on, heartbreaking. On multiple levels. It's, let's just take comedy out of it for like from a society Oh, yeah. Well, it's, from it's a gross. society, it's, it's disgusting. And you think, in my head, I'm like, my guess is if he were had to just have said, I'm Bill Cosby, do you want to have sex? More than half the women he said that to would have sex with him. So what is the drugging and the getting unconscious and the, I mean, he needed him to be like that. It was just, it's really twisted. And now everything you see, it's, it, he's done. They're pulling his special off Netflix. They're canceling the, they took the reruns of the Cosby show off the air, which now everyone's like up in arms because that really hurts the other actors who aren't doing anything. You know what I mean? Like they're not seeing any residuals anymore. Do you get residuals? I was never on the Cosby show. Oh, I thought you were. Yeah, no. You lied to me. <laughs> That's how I got on this you podcast. You said you were one of the kids. That's how I, I was. I played Rudy for one season, and then <laughs> I was replaced. <laughs> one of these days, I would love to, I would love to have a talk show that only, uh, only interviews people from the past. Like You know, like you have The Tonight Show. It's all about oh, they now. Did. I thought they did that. I thought they had Ooh. that. Like, wasn't it on Nickelodeon? I don't know. Here's Brian and his icons of the '80s. No, 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 but ha- but do it like the Tonight Show, but you only deal with those. That's your guess. Yeah, and, and then the- you then you do sketches. Like, let's say somebody shows up from a show that you used to watch, but you you have a sketch group that does the reenacts the scenes with them. With only the one person that's there would be fun. That okay, all right. I mean, that's not a bad idea. That's and our if, show. If you're gonna if you're gonna no. pitch that show, you should. I think Nick at Night or somebody would like like a a talk show. That's not a bad idea. 
I know. It would be fun. Like the outfield comes and plays. They're the band that night. Josie's on a vacation far away. Coming out of tuck it over. <laughs> Are they even alive? I, I think don't know. That's the thing is every show is like, point. who's alive? Ooh, yeah. There's got to be a segment. It's the right? outfield with one original member. And who cares? Because we never knew who any of them were anyway. It's true. As long as they get out there and you say, this is the outfield, and they're busting out, Josie's on a vacation far away. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a showstopper. Yeah. You know, I, I went to some event this past weekend, and this fella, um, he was a showstopper. He, it was, he obviously does a lot of karaoke, and he knows all the karaoke showstopping moves. Older guy, had the suit coat on, and nice. they're like, hey, Mr. So-and-so who watches the gate at the kid's school wants to sing a song. And he knew. He knew. He was going to blow the roof off. He came in. He had a pinky ring. I knew Ooh. he was serious, right? I knew. Oh, yeah. I knew. When I saw the pinky ring, I thought, it just, okay. It just blinged off, this, and you're like, yeah. ding. This guy's not just going to stand there and sing this song. Yeah, he's not going to do some crappy rendition of no, uh, no, no, Happy no. Birthday. No, and his he was wearing a dress coat, and his collar was on the outside of the dress. So like, there was a lot of know. signs pointing towards, he's gonna ladies be awesome. and gentlemen, nothing's gonna be, nothing good's going to come after this. Your okay? entertainment for the evening. <laughs> Clark, the guy who's the crossing guard thing person. <sighs> Here's that weird thing about living in this city is you you get so much of that right like yes it's it's not always just about what famous person is in the room it's the fact that almost everybody out here in one way shape or form has a special talent or thinks they have a special talent or is willing to put themselves on the line so every party is probably going to have a show-stopping moment. Every party has that possibility. That's what I find so amazing about all this Anywhere stuff. you go. And like, where were you? It was, it was a school function. It was just a Something school function. A school. That, it's like, I, don't, I mean, there was no karaoke that night. That was the only karaoke moment of the night. Oh, really? The rest of it was like, eat food and bid on silent auction items. That and then was they it. just said, that there was karaoke set up? No, there was a DJ, and the DJ had... It was all planned, right? The DJ had the so song. So they knew whoever planned well, yeah, it. Well, okay. yeah, all karaoke artists, if you will, they know. They're ready. Okay. Don't get yourself. I'm learning things now. They're yeah, ready. Yeah. They're ready to go. At a drop of a hat. At a, oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? If there's a hot mic... Right? Well, I used to be like and that a with wordless, comedy. And a wordless song. <laughs> and just the instrumental background of a very popular <laughs> song right. that everyone it's, would know. It's go time. That's amazing, though. You didn't join him for a duet, nothing? I am not a karaoke person. I have actually been kicked off stage twice during karaoke because I'm a douchebag karaoke guy. I'm, I'm, and I feel bad about it now. Like, I don't know. I, I think my own fear of yeah, not being yeah. able to carry the tune and do it right and compete yeah, with those people. You're just being a jerk. Because we're stage performers in a different light. And it's, it's very well known out here, at least, that karaoke people do not like stand-up comics. We, we share a lot of the same stages that are non-comedy related. In, in town, and they're usually one right after the other. Usually, uh, karaoke comes in after stand up, and so there's this thing where they just, you know, you'll just see a group of stand ups lined up on one side and a group of karaoke people, and they just don't like each other. It would be a brawl on any given night. Well, first of all, I think you use the word brawl loosely. It'd well, a, okay, a lot sissy of tongue slapping, lashing. yeah. Sissy slapping. I wouldn't worry about it being a full out, like, I got a broken nose. <laughs> But I mean, I also there's a lot of comics that do karaoke. I mean, there's there's people that cross over. There's crossover artists. <laughs> but I know that a lot of people don't respect comics that do karaoke, which I think is kind of silly. Because like I said, I look back at it now. I'm like, all right, like I don't. I think it's silly that I I copped an attitude. And I think again, it was my own insecurity. So I would just go up there. Yeah, and just, it's like, just swear those people and, are just having fun and be I mean, stupid. And they're like, get off. Get, get, you're taking a dump on our stage, and you're taking a dump on what we enjoy. Yeah. 
But once I embraced it, not not embracing the actual singing part, but embraced what it was, I remember staying after a comedy show and watching karaoke one night, and I loved it, because I love the showmanship. And my favorite person that shows up to a karaoke event, if you want to call it that, whatever, karaoke night. There you go. Is the guy that brings in his own original music oh. and sings. Whoa. He, so he brings in just the instrumental of his own songs, and he just signs up, and he sings, he hands over his own it CD. sings original music. Dude, I'm loving it. And I was like, I, first time I saw this, I'm like, I am I've not leaving. I've never seen that. I'm like, I am not leaving because this is unbelievable. Well, but good for that guy. That's amazing. Was it any good? <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, I guess. I mean, yeah. It was. I mean, it's karaoke. It was. I guess it was pre-American Idol. But he's karaokeing his own tune that he wrote. Yes, I got. See, that's cool. I'm telling you, I was. It was. I was so excited. He records all the music, then bring record, brings it in and sings over it. Yeah, I mean, I was like, oh, someone's gonna do Sweet Caroline again. But like, it was like instead, he was like, nope, I'm bringing in my own thunder here. Keen's a great Patrick Keen, the comedian Patrick Keen, is a great karaoke showman. Really? He's got a pretty good voice, but he also, he knows how to put on a show. What does he sing? Uh, it's not about that. It's about usually, I think, his pants fall off. Oh. And so, I mean, I've seen him do it with motorcycle helmets on for no reason. I've seen him take his clothes off and do it in his underwear. I've seen him I take mean, his clothes always, off while he does stand-up. Yeah, he does, he's, he does some interesting stuff. We've got to get him in here to defend himself. But the, no. my point is that uh, he actually enjoys it, so he's not mocking. No, right, right. The art form, if you will, of right. He's just taking his show one step higher. So anyway, yeah. I I personally don't do it anymore. I don't care for it. I've done it a couple times. Karaoke once. I was like hammered. This was back in two thousand two, probably. Went to Dimples in the Valley. You know that right over nope. the, right over nope. the hill. They, if you're a first time karaokeer there, they record your set. And they give it to you on a cassette. So. I got for my, what purpose? So you can have who? Who's ever going to ask? It, you, you, let me tell you something right now. We talked about this uh, one of the other episodes about like if someone's in the car and they're like, "Do you want to listen to my Miley Cyrus?" I mean, we're like, "No." If you take it one step further and you're like, "Listen, um, can you listen to a little between my karaoke tunes?" Done. I'm done with you. Well, of course, I, it wasn't for, it wasn't for to like play you the tape, demo. Right? Can tape I have the tape so that I, we can play it on air? I don't think I have it. No, anymore. you have it. Stop it, because you now realize I, I I'm oh, asking. No. You the have next it. morning. I forgot that I did it, and did the you, next did morning, you, did you I, on no, accident? I put it in. My, I was like, I got in my car to go to work with like a huge hangover, and I was like, oh my god, that's karaoke tape. It was in my, was just sitting there. I put it in my cup holder or whatever. Uh-huh. So I threw it in, uh-huh. and it was awful. Yeah. Okay. So can I have it? Awful. If I can find it, yes, you can have it. Oh, we got to play that on the air. Uh, I'll be. I'll be probably moving soon, so you can. Uh, I'll go. Be going because of this. Stuff. Because of this, I have to move. I have to change addresses. You're leaving Brian. town. I got to get out of here because, because of the karaoke tape. Is going to hear my karaoke tape. That's it. And I have to tap out, I'm not buddy. Moving out of town, you oh, idiot. <laughs> well, you made it sound like that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is this a serious moment? Are you? Are you doing it? Are you making the leap? Uh, Are you announcing this? No. I'm Are you just, making the leap? I'm not making a leap. I'm just saying I might move in with my girlfriends. That's a leap. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it first here. Exclusive. Actually, that's not true. I've been saying it to a lot of people. On podcasts? I, uh, every podcast I go on is about this t- subject. That's all it? That's, <laughs> that's the only reason why they bring you on the shows? I'm plugging it. John, tell us what it's like to live in Hollywood and live in with a girl. <laughs> well, it's But in that one raspy scary. voice of yours. Well, it's, uh, hey, everybody. Hollywood. Da, 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 da. Oop, I just took a hauls. I'm all better now. 
So last week, uh, you and I did Episode some comedy two. shows. Oh, yeah. No, I did want to talk about that, actually. Thank you. I wanted to talk oh, about- is this what you were going to ask me earlier? Yes. Okay, go yeah. ahead. Yeah. Uh, on last Saturday night, we we went out. Like, your your wife was at, like- I like how- I we, had a free pass. Right. Wife, kids, gone. Gone. And- Not just you get to go out. They weren't home. So basically, I was single- Minus all the cats and dogs in my house. Right. And I was, who cares? Was, all you do is a mandate. Eat, yeah, with yourself. No, with you. Oh, right. Um, and we went out and we went to the comedy store. Comedy store first. Where I had a spot in the OR on, on Brian Swinehart's show. Which is show. the original room, which faces Sunset Boulevard across the street is House of Blues. Yes. Um, I did not. I was going to ask Swinehart if you could go up. Once I figured out whose show it was, I was going to ask him, but then he offered before I had a chance. So he was. Do you want to talk about the significance of this? Is this why you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. So you got to go on stage at the OR for the first time in. Well, how old's my son? Uh, (laughs) Six years. Okay, so a little less than Joe Rogan. He returned there yesterday after seven-year absence. Now, I've never told this story. You want me to tell the story why I didn't do it? Yes, I want you to tell the story why you haven't performed in the OR at the Comedy Store for six years. All right. So here's the deal. So I moved. I moved out here in 2000, and I, but I didn't move directly to Los Angeles. I moved. My sister lived in San Diego, so I lived in San Diego for the first six months, and I was working at the comedy store in La Jolla. Nice. So I was a Very comedy store. Club. So right there, I became branded a comedy store comic. I was a door guy. They nicknamed me the Enforcer because I would actually not be afraid. As mo- you know, most door guys at the comedy store are comedians. Uh, a lot of times, uh, clubs don't like to hire comedians to be door guys because they're they don't want to ever tell the audience to be quiet or, you know, because they there's a chance they may be going up. And what you don't want to do is piss obviously the piss the audience before you go on stage. Hey, it's me, the guy who yelled at you earlier. <laughs> Boo! But All I didn't right. care because my attitude was like respect who's up there right now. It was about the moment, which it right? is. That's a good attitude to have. So I was the enforcer, right? Like that's what they nicknamed me down there. Good so Lord. I would I would keep you know. So that was the one side. But anyway, so I got a lot of stage time down there. Started down there. Um, became a uh, unpaid regular uh, through showcasing down there, and uh, then eventually moved up to Los Angeles. And uh, it was never a paid regular there, but I performed there regularly. You can do two different types of regulars there, yeah. as you know. So um, I was a comedy store guy. That was my thing. A lot of people spoke ill of the comedy store. When you move out here, they're like, ah, oh, the comedy store, it's over, it's black, it's dingy, everybody's rude over there, blah, blah, whatever. You know, there's a million reasons why they speak negative. I actually... I uh, had a great experience for the time that I was there. Ran some rooms, ran the belly room, which is a little tiny cool room up top. Yep. Nicknamed after the fact that that's where they put all the women, so apparently it was very segregated. Yep. It was segregated back, back in the day, day. yeah. For those of you who do not know, by the way, what makes the comedy store even cooler is that it used to be a call- place called Ciro's, which was uh, where Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis used to perform, and Sammy Davis Jr. is really cool, supper club kind of thing. So yep. all that stuff is really cool. Like when you're moving to Hollywood, you're like, oh my God, well, I can't believe I'm in the same... Yeah. Same building performing in these places. Like, I considered when I moved out to do stand up, I considered every place the improv, the laugh factory, the comedy store, any of those places. That was hollowed ground, man. When you got on stage there, you respect that stage because of the people that had come there before you. That was like my thing, right? So yes. I was always very, very respectful. And I wasn't a very disrespectful guy at all. It wasn't, that was not my thing. I just Good. wanted to do my stand up. So years go by, I met my wife, had some kids, you know, did the whole thing. Um, my second kid, when he was born, uh, almost didn't live. So uh, two nights after he was born, I get a call from my wife. She's in tears. Son's not breathing. I fucking crumbled to my knees. I was like, oh, my God. I mean, could you imagine you know, getting no. that phone call, right? It was, very, it was like a really tough time in my life. To, you know, that happened. We spent you know, eight weeks in the NICU, 
And our, here's how weird it is. Like our job as parents, we did 12-hour shifts, was basically because I, I, I kind of joke when you're in the NICU, like a lot of the kids are just not done cooking yet, right? Like that's pretty much what it is. Like something, there's no pinpointing of what it is sometimes. It's just like they just weren't ready, ready. So you just, they stay there and they get ready. By the way, incubate. huge respect for that whole world. Because the almost I've there were a lot of kids in worse condition and they all almost all of them survived so bravo to those people for everything that they do and how they get a kid out of those things. But so we're there and they say to us they go okay so your problem is your son's having a problem breathing and he keeps coding right, which is uh, basically he's just going blue man because he's ooh. just not breathing right. So this is little tiny baby right like this little seven pound two days thing. old. Huh? Two days old? This is, this, well, he started, he went to the NICU after two days. So okay. the first two days he was with her, and then after that he went into the NICU, into an incubator, if you will. So our job was like he had this little thing on him. So every time he stopped breathing, they would say, if this happened, because there's not a lot of nurses in there, every time, this is what they tell the parent, um, just grab, pinch his foot, get him to breathe again. Like, and, and you're like in this zone, you're like, okay, just tell me exactly what I need to do, right? When I look back on it now, I'm like, oh my God. Basically, my child was on like death's door over and over again, and you're telling me Squeeze to keep foot. him alive. Like that's what our like that's what kind of stress we were under, right? Like you don't know. I mean, you're just sitting there and you're sobbing and you're sad and you're hopeful. Like all these emotions are going through, and it was a really heavy time. And so I basically just I didn't show up anywhere. Not just a comedy store. I just wasn't anywhere. Like I was in. You were I was focused there. on your child. I was focused on my child. What a weirdo. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I would say we finally got him home, but he had to have this thing on him. Like it was still, he had to have a monitor on him. So like if he, you know, just in case he didn't breathe, it, a monitor would go off and let you know if it gets to a certain point, you could, you know, because at some point you're going to fall asleep and you got to, you know, you need that monitor to let you know there's something wrong. Very stressful. So one day I was like, I can't, this is too much. I got to go back to my, my safe zone, my solace, which is stand up comedy store, the stage. So I get my car, I drive down to the comedy store. I, um, Go in there. My name's on the list, which I understand that. I hadn't been there for two months. I right. get that, right? Um, I, see the, I see the MC, and he's like, hey, man, where you been? I was like, oh, you know, it's you know, kid stuff. It's just been you know, a tough time having a kid and stuff. And he goes, oh, your name's not on the list. I go, yeah, no, I know. He's like, don't worry about it. He's like, you know, you're, you're part of the family here. You're going up next. I'll, I'll get you up next. You've got plenty of time. So I'm sitting there, and out of nowhere, the dude that runs the comedy store at this time comes walking over. And he says, who's up next? And this is in the OR. So like, the, it's, we're sitting right off to the side of the stage. The stage is only like five, seven feet from us. There's a person performing on the stage. The audience, it's a very, the room is like, it's very personable, right? Yeah. So like everybody's on it's top intimate. of everybody. It's intimate. You can't have loud conversations there because everybody can hear everybody, right? right? And he says, oh, uh, you know, Irwin's going up next. And he looks at me, he goes, he's not going up next. And he starts yelling. Stops the show, comedian on the stage looking over to the side. The audience is now turned over to me as well. He goes, he's not going on stage. And he's like, well, why not? He's, he's, a, he's a regular. He goes, he's not going on stage. He didn't go on stage here anymore. We don't want him here anymore. Put on Freddie Lockhart and just storms away. Now, I wasn't even in a good emotional state to begin with. Like, I had just come here yeah. to kind of get away from it. And I was like, what just happened? I, and, and like even the MC, like it, it literally, like the whole audience stopped and watched me get berated. The comic stopped and watched me get berated. The MC is just like, seriously, dude, what the fuck? Like the MC was like infuriated at him. And normally people don't challenge the talent coordinators at the place because they're afraid they're going to lose their, right. you know, the amount of time. So he ran after a man and like laid into him and was like, how you can't do that to somebody. 
And Who the guy the just say, huh? Who was the MC? Uh, Ryan. Stout? Uh, no, no, no. I don't remember the guy's last name. I haven't seen him. Well, I haven't seen him in six years, so I can't remember. Wow. But I really appreciated the fact they did that. But I was so devastated. I, I remember. I remember going out back. And I tried to track down the guy to ask him, like, what did I do? What, 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 what did I do wrong? Like, why did I deserve? Like, I was like, I really wanted to find out. And he just blew me off and, like, wouldn't talk to me. And I, I remember seeing Steve Simone, another comedian that's a comedy store guy. And he's like, what's up? Because I was obviously I was visibly shaken. And I kind of told him what happened. You know, Steve's a great guy to yeah. talk to because he's got so much heart and compassion. And he was yeah. like, that's, that's horrible. And I, and I looked, I remember looking back down the hallway and the MC was still laying into the talent guy about it. And I really always appreciate it. I, w- I should remember his name because he really went to the nines. And I yeah. just, you know what, man? I just, I just, I just pe- got in my car and I just left and never went back. And I tried calling him a couple times to ask him why he did that to me and what the problem, he wouldn't take my phone calls. So I never actually got a justification of why he did it. But here's the thing. It's like, you know, in comedy, like if you don't like somebody as a talent coordinator or a show booker, then just say, I don't have room for you here. You're not right for our club. I mean, I can handle it. Right. I don't think you're funny enough for this club. You're not ready. I can handle all those things. It was the way he did it. My and, God. And, 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 and what mental state I was in at my life at that point, and that this was the place that I loved to go. You were going there to unwind. You were going there to get away from yeah. all that bullshit, and then he just piles even more on top of it. Yeah, and I, I will never fully blame him for what happened after that, but it, re- it shook me so much to the core that I never really fully committed to comedy the same way I had up to that moment in my life. I was really? so shook. I felt like that was my boot out the door. Like it just, it just mentally messed with me. And I'm just, uh, you know, it, it's, it, and I, and I also, I, I just decided that when that happened, my family, my children, there were things be, that became more important to me in my life. And I just basically, comedy became a back seat to me. Something that I had loved so dearly and was so committed to became a back seat to me that day. Yeah. Because I realized there was something far more important waiting for me at home, especially after that happened. You're like the improv. So there was, there was, <laughs> there was cause and effect. And it, it had ramifications. And, and, and that part of it was my own decision to make that. But it, but it stemmed from what happened that night. My commitment to it started there. So I just, I just never went back. The guy wouldn't take my phone calls. I realized I wasn't welcome. I never understood why I wasn't welcome back. I had always done well at the club. I ran rooms at that club for years. Yeah. And, you know, put up hundreds of comedy store comics at all the shows that I did and all that stuff. It was just part of my, my, uh, my DNA there. So when we got there, it was weird. When, when the guy running the show was like, you're up next. I was like, whoa. Like it was that moment where you're like, whoosh. You know what I mean? It hits you. What if and, you would have run over what, right as we were about to go on and yelled at you again? <laughs> out of nowhere? Out of nowhere, Well, Brian, the guy's gone. Brian Swinehart comes over and yells yeah. at you. Yeah, the guy, the guy that, uh, you, know, y- you know, years went by. Um, he was notorious for just being a douche, I guess. Um, I wouldn't know because I wasn't there, but I just heard stories. But, you know, he was gone. And as far as I'm concerned, personally, good riddance. I never thought he was good for comedy, regardless of how his take on me. I just didn't think he was good for comedy. I didn't right. think he, he nurtured the right type of talent. But he's gone now, and that's the past. And it was, and I just, I went with you because it's one of the weird things. Like, I needed to go with somebody. I like, I needed some sort of support. Because yeah. I really didn't know what, how it was going to be. So it worked out. It was great. You had a I good mean, crowd? Well, it was a great crowd. Um, you know, I mean, I still remember how to tell jokes. You know, I still know how to do it. And I'm, I was funny how going back up on that stage, it was like I never missed a beat. I was really worried that this, I was like, I'm never going to get back on that stage again. Nah. I'm never going to go back. But you know what I mean? These are the things 
that go through. Anyway, I know that was a really long-winded story. No, 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 but that's what I that's why I asked. I want to know all about it. But I'm so I'm I'm so grateful that um, you know, you you and Brian and those guys um, you know, got me up there. I didn't see, you know, the weird the only thing that's weird about it is when you're gone for six years, you almost cycle through a whole generation of people. So I didn't see a lot of the, the waitresses or the comedians that I normally would see there, and maybe they had come later that night because you and I went. We were there, yeah. Because phase seven, two, yeah, it, <laughs> was, a, was not as right. It was as touching as, show, this, right. as this story was. It was a seven thirty show. We got there, you know, right as it was starting or close to it, and then, yeah, no one really shows. Like none of the regular guys show up there until nine. But they don't need to. There's no reason yeah. to be there until it's your show. But let me absolutely I, I, not. I, I want to say something about the comedy store and the Sunset Strip that I that that. Um, that I, I that I can romanticize this. If you're if you've never been to uh, Los Angeles, or even if you do live in L.A., there's something really cool about that room. It is one of the toughest rooms, and you start doing stand up. It is one of the toughest rooms to get a laugh in. It really is, and it it's a great place to build up what I call your comedy skin. You know your tough skin, but there's something really cool about being on that stage and seeing all those names around you of these yeah. icons that, and 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 some people would see that window looking out into sunset. As kind of like a bummer, like because it's right. It's just if you're on stage, it's to your right. If yeah. you're standing on stage, but I actually love the 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 ambience of that room, and and it's I I I've, I remember the, when I first moved out here, and I I was sitting in the back, and I think I was watching uh, John Caparillo perform on stage, and he had this great joke about um, you know if I was if I was the Hulk, you know what kind of things would I would get mad at, and he's like oh I'm out of Diet Coke, <laughs> and he yeah. turned into the Hulk and he get mad about Diet Coke, like it was. It's just really funny, you know, and be able to sit back there because it, it is an intimate room. I, and so I have like these great memories of it. And I really like that room. I like the other clubs too, don't get me wrong. But I'm a comedy store guy. I was a comedy store guy. And, and that's, that's the stuff. That's what's so cool about that. If you ever go to Hollywood, you should stop by, regardless of the talent on stage. Well, right. But try I to go you, later in the night. Try to go on a weekend. But you should still go to the comedy store. I truly believe <laughs> yeah, that. You I, should I go agree. to the comedy store. You should, you, there's so much history, both from the comedy store standpoint, from Ciro's standpoint, from the Sunset Strip. It's all right there. Laugh Factory is a cool place. You should go to all of them. You should go to the improv. If you love comedy, you should visit all of those clubs. Well, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I completely agree with that. I think comedy is a big part of There's Hollywood also other history. great places to see comedy I mean, if you're in la and looking to you know a lot harder though it just depends on when you're there and again yeah, but, I mean, yeah, yeah. but again i'm talking about if you're if you're a traveler and you're gonna come come through town you should stop at one of yeah. those of all those places. i think so and they're all in like a two mile radius so yeah no you gotta travel far to you know you probably take a one bus and hit them all if you need well to. i mean all that stuff is like you know <coughs> melrose hollywood boulevard sunset strip it's all you're you, it's it's an all-in-one package it's basically you know oh it's a package wait a minute <clears throat> yeah, I agree. What was your um when it comes to comedy, um you know we've we've talked about you being out here and obviously at some point you decided to do comedy, but what would you what was your where did you do comedy for the first? We talked about you doing comedy for the first time already? Uh And if so, like or what was your first club experience like, you know, when you actually like le- le- what you would consider your first legitimate moment in stand up? Do you remember that? Well, I remember or, the, or getting a legitimate booking, I should uh, say. I mean, I I I'm not, I don't think tell, stop me if you have heard this. But Wait, I, that's a Smith song, correct? Yep, okay. that's I wrote it. Uh, oh, um, I told you when I moved out here, I was living with that guy, uh, that forty-year-old dude with a little tiny what? porch, tiny porch. Yeah, tiny okay. porch guy. Okay. Well, my mom had suggested I do stand up, so I went to an open mic at Ty. Okay. T 
T-A-I-X okay. on Sunset. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. It was in walk, I could walk there from my place. But all day, I knew that open mic was happening that night. So all day I was at this at work at this insurance company, like doing filing and shit, and I'm trying to write jokes because I didn't have anything. Filing your nails. F- yeah. What? Because <laughs> that's what it looked like I did. No, I was trying to write jokes. But I didn't, like, all my jokes were about pooping at work and, like, holding your poop. And, like, I didn't have anything. You know well, I mean? apparently you did inside your balls. <laughs> yeah, right? A lot. There's <laughs> some shit I needed to get out. Uh, so uh, work ends. I walk home, and I immediately start drinking. I drink a 12-pack of Pabst. Just plow through it as I'm trying to go over this material. And I'm looking at it, and I'm pacing, and I'm sweating. And then uh, we walk down. Me, my neighbor, and my buddy, my buddy Tim, who I was living with at the time, we walk down to the restaurant. And I start drinking Heineken's, and I switch to rum and cokes. I have like three or four. Come on, rum and you know cokes. the rule? No, oh, dude, there was no rule at this time. Uh, well, apparently, obviously, based on the description, but the, you know, the first girl goes up. I start to heckle her. What are you doing? I'm fucking hammered. Well, right? yeah, I'm yeah. hammered. I have no idea what's going on. Well, I think you see, you no idea how that happened. No, I'm like by the earlier description. Yeah, I know, I know exactly okay, how okay, it happened. Okay, good. So I wake up the next morning, and I'm like on the floor whoa, whoa, of that room. Wait. wait. And I wake up and I'm like, I wake my buddy up. I'm like, hey, did I go on last night? And he goes, dude, you're a dickhead. <laughs> and I was like, why? What happened? He said, I, I heckled that chick until she just fucking laid into me and basically handed it to me. So I was like, done. And then she was like, go out the door and take a left. You can go to an AA meeting. And then so my buddy just took me home. He just and I, he said, I fell a bunch of times. I broke my voice recorder. I fucking. I did all kinds of shit. Like I was wasted, and I didn't go up again and for like two weeks. And then I finally took a bus from Echo Park to North Hollywood, and went up at the Haha ha Cafe, and that was my first real yeah comedy club experience. And I sober, the, the, yeah, sober. And the <laughs> first time I went up there, uh, there was some improv group there was doing rehearsals, and they stopped to watch the open mic, and I wasn't getting a whole lot of laughs. But then I was going through this notebook, and I started. I started like, oh, look, bus directions on how to get from Echo Park to North Hollywood. And people thought that was funny. Because so you I, were improving. I don't know what it was, but afterwards they were like, wow, that was really funny, man. How long have you been doing this? I go, that was my first time on stage. And they're like, wow, that was really good. You have a good stage presence. I'm like, okay. And then I was like, oh, maybe I'm really good at this. And then I kept, I went to a, like two or three of those. And then Jack and this other guy who ran the door were like, hey, man, Jack's the owner of the Ha Ha. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, man, you want to come and do a regular show? And I'm like, yeah, like, like, can you get some friends to come out? Yeah, there it is. And Welcome I, to Hollywood. Right, and I didn't realize that at the time. I go, yeah, I'll tell everyone I know. So I was working in production, and I got like forty people to come to this show one night. You were a hero to the ha. Is your is your is there a bust of you? Uh, there should be the drunkest guy to ever go on stage. Oh there. no, not I, again! I got there, and it was Latino Comedy All Star Night was the show they put me on. And I was the only white guy on the bill. That's okay. It is okay. I had no problem with it. But I was like, man, I hope this audience likes me. 40 people I knew crammed into the back. They tell me I'm going on at 8. So at 7.45, I'm like, oh, shit, I'm going on at 8. I start pounding beers <laughs> because I can't go on stage sober at this point. I need at least three or four beers in me to like, yeah, loosen yes, up. Yes, at least. I agree. What are you talking about? So, but continue. So, well, this is back when I thought that I had to have this. Okay. All so right. then they pushed my time. I'm not going on at 8, going on at 8.30. So I have like three more beers. Oh, boy. I don't go on till 11. Yeah. Yeah, 11. welcome to the world of bringer shows. Yeah. We'll explain this after your story. But by then, some of the people had left. 
Like I brought the most people, so put me on later so they, those people don't leave. Yeah, I get it. But <coughs> some of those people had left because they had to work the next day. It was just getting late. So like 11.30 rolls around. They finally put me up on stage. My buddy, voice rec- I have that tape somewhere, and it's literally all you can hear is me talking, silence, and then my buddy going, oh. <laughs> oh, man. Like, it was so bad. It was the, like, after the show, I went out, I, I kept touching my nose. I don't know why, but after the show, like, three people were like, don't do cocaine and go on stage. I'm like, I'm not doing cocaine. I don't know why I touched my nose. I don't know what I was doing. Nervous tick. I don't know what it was. I was terrified. It was awful. I was hammered. I go outside, and my buddy comes out, and he goes, well, eh, you got that over with. And I'm like, yeah, like, like I should never do stand-up again. He goes, no, 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 like, that's the worst it's ever going to be. Like, you are never going to do worse than that. That is the worst you are ever going. That's the, the, the worst possible scenario you could ever have. Like, it'll never be that bad again. And to was his it? to his credit, it was not. I, okay. I was never that. I made it a point for it to never be that bad. Well, wouldn't you consider the first night your worst night of stand up? Well, I didn't even get on stage though. I know. Oh yeah, I mean that was pretty bad. But it was worse than a stand up for that woman. Do you remember who it is? No, and I thank God. And I'm I, I wonder. If, Are you wondering one day if she's going to walk out to me and be like, <laughs> "You son of a bitch"? No, I don't think she would. It was she was an open mic host. I'm sure she dealt with that kind of shit before. Meaning you're in Echo Park, like you deal with drunk people in comedy a lot. My fear is that she would remember me and that it would somehow keep me off a show or something. Because oh, of, come on. I mean... Never work in this town again, boy. Well, you know, I, the town is small. I don't know who that person was or if they're still doing comedy. Probably a not. lot of people I met at the beginning are not doing it anymore. I used to run an open mic, and I have, at home, I have um, papers and sheets and sheets and sheets of all the sign-ups. Oh, my God. Of all the people. Really? That have ever come through. And it's, it's amazing... When you read it, some of the people you're like, oh my God, I forgot that they were there. And then most of them you're like, Who? wow, there's like 90% of these people don't even do stand-up anymore. Yeah. It's just, it's a pretty interesting, you know, read when yeah. you actually look at no, it. No, if, if you can remember those people, that's crazy. You know what I mean? If, if you... Well, I really got into the open mic circuit. <laughs> I thought it was really fun because, again, talking about the socializing of, of living here, mm-hmm. you know, getting, in, getting into a group. Other than the fact that, I mean, I had a safety net when I lived down in San Diego because my sister was there. I had a, play, I had a home to go to. Like, right. it was family, right? But when I moved up to Los Angeles, I only had two friends, and neither one of them were stand-ups. One worked in the music business. The other one worked in restaurants, right? And so I, I remember having to go to open mics and stuff like that by myself and not know anybody. And it's like, I remember the first time, I, the first open mic I went to, I was just sitting in my car going, am I going to do this? Is this really? You know, because you're like, this is a full commitment. I drove a long way and said goodbye to everybody yeah. in a whole nother state. Where, where was the open mic at? It was at uh, Bar Azur in Culver City. Oh, you didn't drive that far. <clears throat> no, no, no. Oh, I'm <laughs> Wait, what? You're like, I drove, I drove across the country. Yeah. I'm like, Just for one show. This, how far away was this open mic? But it's like, I, you know, you, 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 I'm sitting in my car going, you, I, I, was, I froze. I'm like, yeah. I got I to do this because if I don't do this, then what was the point? Of coming all the way out here, right? Like you, this is what you said you were going to do, man. Yeah. Right. Inner dialogue, right? And I get out and uh, I I walked in there and I happened to see this guy, little friendly fella named Aaron Cater. Oh, Aaron Cater. And he right. walked in. He went, "Hey, man, I know you. You, I saw you do a, a, a some bringer show or something like that." He was like, "You're a nice guy. You're funny. Put him on the list. He's going up tonight." Like he like just right away. I was like, and there and there it was. 
There you go. It was because Etheridge was running the show. Brian Keith Etheridge, like all these comics that have done very well for themselves. Oh yeah, were running the show that night, and eventually I ended up inheriting that show and ran the open mic after they moved on with that's their lives, hilarious. and I took it over. And again, that was fun because that was my. That's where I went to know people and hang out and kind of get acclimated into this city. You know, yeah. Com- you can say what you want about comics being you know loners and bitter and mean and all that stuff and and hard to talk to if you're a normal person, but. I actually, thank God all these people were out here, man, because well, I don't right. know if I'd still be here if I didn't have that group of people to hang out with. And I think in the beginning, I think that's really important. I do think that's really important, because that's like, all, I, I went to these open mics, I went to shows, and, and, just, and they, weren't even, they weren't people I would see every day. Right. I would only see them when I was doing comedy. And it was fun. It was, like, it was like every day was like a summer camp reunion that you went out, you know? And that was great. As I got older... I focused less on the socializing and tried to focus more on my set and would try to do as many shows as I could in a week or a night or whatever it was. And if I wasn't going to be out doing comedy, I was, should be home working on it and not out just like standing around. You yep. know what I mean? Yeah. And I know that that is a double-edged sword too because if you don't go out, people don't remember you and they don't put you in things. They don't find you. They don't talk to you. They don't you know, spark ideas in their head. You know what I mean? Um so it's one of those things. Like I think my antisocialness now has probably hindered my uh, career to a certain extent. Well, you can't be antisocial when you're starting in stand up. No, no, I mean, no. Like, yeah, a- no, no, again, I agree. T- talking about those lists, those open mic lists, the names would go 45, 50 people deep. That's mm-hmm. 50 people who want to tell a joke at a club that at some point wants to, sh- wants to close for the night because it's going to be on an off night. They don't have business in general. They've got they like have three comics in there. Nobody's buying. No anything. one's buying anything. Yeah. I had gotten to the point, which is funny. I had gotten to the point where at that bar, I got beers for a buck fifty. Budweisers were a dollar fifty on Monday nights, and and got somebody uh, Big Wang's wings supplied pizza and wings and everything for free, and still nobody bought anything. Wow. But this is Los Angeles, where on any given night you can buy a Budweiser for eight dollars at most places. It was a dollar fifty, and I get it; like people are cheap, or they have. I mean, I, it was then when I realized I how would have been broke ass, beers at your open well, mic. Yeah, we you established that in this in this episode. <laughs> the 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 point is though, it's just like, boy, comics really are broke ass. Like that buck fifty is going to be their breakfast tomorrow, and they yeah. don't want to. Yeah. Or they're just waiting for somebody to buy them a drink. Right? Well, that's weird. Well, you know what I'm saying. It's yeah. like you know, good set. Here's a drink, which is that's not happening anyway. So, but no. yeah, I mean, they, so so I really enjoyed the open mic circuit. But for those of you who don't know anything about stand up, it doesn't get. You think that like, all right, I'm going to get out of the open mic circuit. It kind of gets a little bit weird, right? Because then you have to get into unintentionally and sometimes unknowingly into the bringer circuit, and depending on who's running the bringer shows, they're they're kind of evil people that manipulate the situation like what happened to you it's like man you're really good you should come do my show well they're like oh okay and then they're like well, where's all the people you're supposed to bring people I'm like uh what like well you're not going up or you get to go up last or they make your 40 people wait three and a half hours like not everybody did that some people actually ran decent well shows. That, the, the only time i didn't understand that i was bringing people was that first time at the haha you know what i mean i was like i was like okay yeah, can I promote the show? Sure, I'll show you what I can do, thinking this is my chance to show them how many people I can get out, how many people want to come see me, as if it would re- lead to more regular stage time. But you're right, all they wanted were those people. They wanted your people, they didn't care about your stage time. And it, when, I, when I 
ran a show and it, and I did run a bringer show. That's why I, I want to be very careful about how much I slam them because I think you can run them. We we did a mix. We booked comics that were seasoned and we mixed them in with bringers. But we were very honest with people like just do what you can, bring out what you can. And if they knocked it out of the park, if they brought like twenty five people, they got the best spot of the night. We gave them more time because we realized like it's not easy to get these people out, regardless of their talent nope. level. It was no longer about that. Um, you know, the guy Peter Sprite and I who ran it with me, we we just were like we want to be honest dudes about it because as soon as you say bringer show people are going to think you're a scumbag or yeah. like you're trying to pay your rent with it and our shows are free we just wanted the stage time we just wanted an audience yeah. you know cuz we were getting people like Jim Gaffigan you know to show up at our shows Dave Attell showing up at our shows to perform so we were actually treating the audiences that showed right. up to some pretty amazing yeah they sent a couple of new guys and then they get to see Attell it's yeah. like that's a fair trade and eventually like from I knew right away when I stopped doing the open mics, not stopped, but when I was weaning off of them into people going, hey, people at open mics would come up to me, hey, man, you're really funny. I run a book show. It's here, here, here. If you can get three people, that'd be great. And most of the people were like, and if you can't, I'll probably still give you time anyway. I would try to always roll with my buddy Tim. When my brother moved out here, he was always with me. Um, uh, and a couple other friends that if I could get them to go on, and I would pay for them to go in. I wouldn't like make them pay to see me do you know what i mean and a lot of times i remember one night i brought like 10 people out and this guy pays me money and i was like what's this for he's like you brought 10 people you get this much money back i go oh cool and i just went back and gave the money to my 10 friends who came out (laughs) and the guy goes what the hell did you just do i go oh well they paid to get in so i gave them their money back that money was for you i go yeah but they they're the ones who paid it i didn't pay it they paid it to see me come on i'm telling the same jokes i've been telling for a week now i don't think they give a shit you know what i mean like i gave their money back he could not figure out why i did that i was like I don't think anyone I know should have to pay me do, to see me do comedy. Like my friends shouldn't have to pay to see me do comedy. Well, but ultimately, you you know you should be paid for if you're yes, really good by at what strangers. You do. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Enough. You know what I mean? Like if I had a big, if I was sold out Caesar's Palace and you were like, "Hey, man, can I get a ticket?" I was like, "Yeah, four hundred bucks." I was like, no, I'd be like, "Yes, of course." By the way, speaking of strangers, uh, we'll wrap up this episode by finishing up our comedy night out, our mandate comedy day. Yes. Night. So, and, and just to be clear, uh, John did have his girlfriend with him. So, all right. So, who was a good sport and hung out the whole night and did not complain once? Yeah. Um, this is all true. Yep. So we left the comedy store on a high, but we left a little bit late. We had to do uh, another show at the Downtown Comedy Club, Garrett Morris's Downtown Comedy Club, which is not actually in downtown anymore. Anywhere it near is. it. Anywhere near it. It's like La Brea and 42nd, MLK. Which, which for um, those that don't uh, live in Los Angeles, it's in Crenshaw. It's, um, but it's in like this weird pocket yeah. of like... It's like middle class... Yeah, it's it's a strange area. Middle class inter- I don't know how to explain it, but anyway, it's 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 you know obviously like every every city, a big city, LA is segregated, so it's it's more of the the urban part of town. So who cares? We don't care. We we both we don't we're colorblind, so it doesn't matter. We I'm went not we, colorblind. We There's a lot of black people there, but they're all very nice. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and Garrett loves us and doesn't yeah. care when we come down and lets us do time whenever. And Kevin, who helps run it with Garrett, is yeah. a fantastic dude. Garrett Morris, comedy legend. You all know who he is. So the point is, we get there and it's towards the end of the night. The show is winding down. Oh yeah. You go up first. Uh, what would you assess? How would you assess what happened for you? Well, I had done two shows at the comedy store, and the the OR was okay, and then the belly room was great, mm-hmm. and then I would say that was the end of the roller coaster. <laughs> when you're coming to a stop, like I did not do very well. They were done. The audience, let's to be honest, they're polite, and there's always three. There's three women that used to work at the old downtown comedy club who are there all the time, and they love me no matter what I do. They love me, and Garrett loves all my old material. 
So, I mean, that's kind of who I performed for. Anyway. Yeah, it, which is fine, but the audience was tapped out. Oh, yeah, they were done. We showed up when they, were, when they thought they were leaving, and then these two knuckleheads get on stage. Yeah. So you do your set, whatever, you get off. Garrett brings me up, and I hadn't been at the, again, I hadn't been at the Downtown Comedy Club for a long time. I get up there. I tried doing some improv stuff with the band. Which was, I thought, funny. I thought all the stuff you did up top was really funny. So, <laughs> I'm doing improv stuff with the band. You can tell the rest of the audience didn't think so, by the way. I had to jump in and be like, it's okay, Brian. Don't kill yourself. It was just, you know, it was one of those things you're like, and I don't care. Again, it didn't bother me. I was not sad on stage. We've all had, this was not my worst moment. I will share that some other day. So, at some point, I'm like, I, I do what I always do, because a lot of my material is about kids, man. I, I said in the audience, like, who's got kids? People respond. And then I hear this one woman say, I don't have any kids. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to roll with this. I don't do a lot of crowd work. I'm not a big crowd work guy, but I'm, it's, it's a tired crowd, so let's go back into the crowd. And I said, ma'am, why do you not have kids? And her response was, what, John? Uh, My husband oh. died. Oh, yeah. My husband is dead. And everyone in the audience is like, oh. Good comedy moment. And comedy that was killer. That was comedy it. Killer. Speaking of death, it also took place right there, right at that moment. No matter what. But you ended up bringing her back around, and her and her friend were laughing or whatever. They were fine. The audience was like, nope. Yeah. Uh-uh. No, because yeah. no matter how you danced around that, it, the, the weird thing about when people bring up the word cancer in the audience or death, yeah. what it does is it, it reminds everybody else of their sadness and mortality, right? Yeah. In the room at that moment, yeah. done. And they don't want to think about it. So I get off stage. <laughs> I'm like, no applause. I'm like, I'm done. Well, there, Garrett, there was, there, it was. I go, Garrett, Garrett, come on up. Garrett walks up, hugs me. I've got some classic hug and whisper moments with Garrett in my life. He goes, it's okay, man. It's okay. And then I, I get off stage. <laughs> he finishes the show. He comes back. He's like, Brian, you're a funny man. But I think your problem is you got to, you, you you brought those notes up there and you weren't taking it seriously and you were just messing around. You can you you know you're welcome here anytime. And he gave me like that. I felt worse because he. <laughs> I was like, oh, it was a bad night. Like I was ready to just move on. He was giving me the pep speech, like you know, you can you're gonna make it through this, buddy. Dude, isn't we that are crazy there for how you. That'll just make you feel you, a thousand times and, worse. And I, he thought he was taking me the other direction, which is like you're gonna you're gonna survive this, and we've got your back here, and like all this stuff. And I was like, oh, wow, God. was it that bad? I'm like I'm really sorry. Yeah, about everything. Okay, and then I go over to Kevin, who runs the thing, and he's sitting in an electric wheelchair. That he's not, <laughs> and he's, he's not, he doesn't he, need. He does not need. And it's just like, and I'm apologizing to Kevin. I'm like, this whole thing is just weird. We should probably get going. So it was fine. The only reason why I wanted to do the stand up is because I, then, you know, I mean, I, I'm doing this the gig at the uh, Irvine Spectrum, which I'm excited about. You know, the got another one tonight, right? All weekend? Or... Uh, no, no, I, I, did, uh, I did that Brea improv. Ah. And I, so that, that went great as well. So it's fine. It's like, you're just about getting back out there. Yes. And like, listen. At the end of the day, the whole point of this stories that we tell is like, we do what we want to do, and it's all cause and effect, and we create the cause, and we create all the facts. <laughs> that's that's literally it, and it's a, it's a, it's a roller coaster, but it's, it's awesome, and I'll, I'll keep doing it. Well, I have no choice. Fair enough. On the next episode, um, I, I'm going to be sharing a pretty amazing and embarrassing story about my life in production, and I hope, John, you will have one as well, so I want you guys to tune in next um, time. And also, if you've noticed by the first couple episodes you've listened to, Brian likes to tease items and then never bring them up, so we'll see what happens on the next episode. Maybe you'll get a story from Brian, maybe you won't. 
Thank you for listening to Hollywood Anonymous. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Anani. That is short for Hollywood Anonymous. You can also follow John individually at John Huck and myself, Brian Irwin, at Brian Irwin on Twitter as well. Both of us can be found on Facebook. You can also Google us and contact us directly, HollywoodAnonymousGuys at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe. 